NBA on NBC. The 1998 what NBA is up, Finals. everybody? This is Jim Malak. You're listening to the podcast where we break down former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former NBA power forward Zach Randolph and whether or not he should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And joining us in just a moment to discuss Zach Randolph's career and Hall of Fame candidacy is the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues and the host of Grizzly Bear Blues Live, Joe Mullinax. But before we bring Joe on, let's talk a little more about Zach Randolph. Zach Randolph played 17 years in the NBA from 2001 to 2018, uh, primarily with the Portland Trailblazers and then the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, that's how I remember him, but he did play a number of seasons with Portland as well. But I think of him as a Grizzly. And over his career, put up very good career numbers. Uh, 17 points per game, nine boards per game, and two assists, shooting 47% from the field and 76% from the free throw line. He was a two-time All-Star. He was a one-time All-NBA third-team member and won the 2004 Most Improved Player of the Year award. He went from averaging eight points per game and five boards per game uh, in his second season in the NBA with Portland to 20 points and 11 boards per game in year three at age 22 in Portland. So he had a huge jump there from a a role guy to a double-double machine. And throughout his career, from that point on, he was almost averaging a double-double every single season. For his career, he racked up 18,578 career points, which is good for 67th all-time in NBA history. And also had 10,208 rebounds, which is 38th all-time in NBA history. So he's top 70 in points and rebounds, which is actually um, pretty rare. It's rare territory for him. And Zach Randolph, again, as I said earlier, he played eight seasons in Memphis, six seasons in Portland, and also played for the Knicks, Sacramento Kings, and Los Angeles Clippers. But mainly Memphis Grizzlies um, is what we're going to focus on today because I think those are his prime years. That's when when people think of Zach Randolph. I believe they're thinking with a, a Grizzlies jersey on. Maybe Portland fans think of him in Portland. That's fine too. But the Grizzlies seasons, the grit and grind teams, that's what I think of. And that's where he really made a name for himself kind of dragging some of those Grizzlies teams maybe farther in the playoffs than they should have gotten. So before we bring Joe on to begin this conversation, I need to point out one major, I guess, miss I have in the podcast uh, before we go on. I don't usually do this, but it's a major miss. So spoiler alert here. When Joe and I get to court, we're going to do something really fun. I, I It's going to be that I do this exercise occasionally, but I list out all the great power forwards from the 21st century. And I have Joe, you know, rate, is Zach Randolph better than this player? So yes or no, is Zach Randolph better than Kevin Garnett? Yes or no, stuff like that, right? So I go through the 15 best power forwards of the 21st century. (laughs) However, I leave off someone, a very glaring omission. It's not someone I can just uh, pretend like, oh, that player wasn't good enough to be on this list like Antoine Jameson. No, I forgot Anthony Davis. Why I forgot Anthony Davis, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I consider Anthony Davis a lot of time a center, let alone a, uh, instead of a power forward. But I know Anthony Davis considers himself power forward. I know he kind of is considered a power forward sometimes in voting, sometimes not. It's kind of really wishy-washy, but it's a huge miss on my end. Obviously, Anthony Davis 
is a better career and a better Hall of Fame candidacy than Zach Randolph. So when we get to that rankings, just know I forgot about Anthony Davis. Hopefully you listened to the intro here and you didn't skip ahead, but Anthony Davis is better than Zach Randolph. So however I rank Zach Randolph, just know Anthony Davis is ahead of that. So he's one behind that ranking. And same with Joe. I believe Joe has him as the sixth best power forward of the 21st century. So I'm going to assume Joe agrees with me. Uh, so the ranking would be seventh for Joe. Okay. I had to clear that up. I didn't want you to all think I'm crazy or I'm just like, I hate Kentucky and I hate the Lakers. So I don't want Anthony Davis on there. None of that. I honestly just forgot. I don't know why it slipped my mind, but it did. So apologies there. With that disclaimer out of the way, have a really fun podcast with Joe here. So let's bring him on. All right. So today I'd like to welcome to the podcast, the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Blue Bear Blues and the host of the Grizzly Bear Blues Live, Joe Mullinax. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. to. I, I like this concept for a podcast. Everybody has an NBA podcast now, and uh, I kind of like this idea of how to, uh, to kind of take it apart and make it a little bit more specific. It, I'm excited to be on. Yeah, I know. And we're excited to have you on. And today, Joe, you know, the topic at hand is uh, I give you a heads up, of course, is we're talking about Zach Randolph, um, you know, a former Grizzly also, of course, played a number of years in Portland and had a few other stops. But I think when people think of Zach Randolph, they think of the Grizzlies and couldn't have be a better person to get on. And honestly, Zach Randolph is going to be in the news um, this fall quite a bit. So it is we're recording on September 30th today. So it's about to be October. But uh, two kind of big things for Zach Randolph this year. One, on December 11th, um, the Grizzlies are retiring his jersey. Um, so it'll go up in the rafters down in Memphis. So that's a big deal for him. And then also... Uh, this will be the first year this coming, you know, winter season. This will be the first year Zach Randolph's actually eligible for the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, he retired back in 2018, and now they only have to wait three years. So this will be the first class he can be, um, you know, even nominated for and, and possibly inducted for. So today, of course, we're going to talk about whether or not we believe he should be in as well as just talk about Zach Randolph's career. So, Joe, the first thing I want to talk about with you, I ask every guest this when they get on the pod, when you think of Zach Randolph, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? A bully. And, and I don't mean it in a bad way. That kind of comes with a negative connotation. And the reason I say a bully is because he, if there was ever a good-hearted bully, if there was ever a bully that, you know, you know kind of refound himself or rediscovered himself and, and found the perfect place for him to be the bully with a heart of gold, it's Memphis, Tennessee. I, I think that you know, obviously my, my experience is not fully national. I haven't visited every city in America or experienced every professional sport, but I'm, I'm really pretty confident in saying that there's never been a city and a player more made for one another than Zach Randolph in Memphis. The, the marriage was organic. It was real. He was the catalyst for the most successful era in Memphis Grizzlies basketball history, the grit and grind era, at least to this point, John Morant and company might have something to say about that in the years to come. But sitting here today recording this show, the grit and grind era is the most influential, important time in that franchise's history. And Zach Randolph, if he wasn't the best player on that team, because I think there's a debate between him and Marcus Gasol for that honor, 
uh, he was definitely the most important uh, and he's definitely the greatest. If you're defining greatness as beyond on court productivity in terms of being just a genuine person who genuinely cared about Memphis, did so many things in the community to help support those in need, just a really valuable member of the city beyond the court but on the court he obviously was extremely productive in that 2011 playoff series I know we'll talk a little bit more about specific moments Um, he picked that team up on his back and led them on uh, an improbable run when the city was struggling with flooding the Mississippi River right there by the uh, by the arena and obviously Beale Street you know there's just so much that intertwines with Zach's personality his redemption story and how Memphis and, and Zebo were essentially made for each other from a professional uh, athlete to city that they represent standpoint. So I think bully, but I think when you think of a city like Memphis, you kind of have to have that tenacity to you a little bit and people respected, you know, that in a, in a city like Memphis, he was respected for what he did and what he represented and how he was genuine in everything he did both on and off the floor. So uh, bully in the best way possible, maybe make it a phrase instead of a word. Yeah, I, I love everything you said there. Of course, those grin grind Grizzlies teams like 2010s, like 2011, 2015 was probably that run. Randolph Gasol, uh, you know, Michael Conley Jr., Tony Allen. The, the, I, I was looking back at the 2010s, those first, you know, four or five years of the decade. A lot of great Western Conference teams that just had absolute battles in the playoffs and um, I, you know, these, these Grizzlies teams, those are those memorable teams that yes, they never made it to a finals, but they're memorable. They had characters, they had, you know, epic playoff series in, in the you know first, second, third round. And I was looking back up at some of those matchups and we're we'll probably talking about it just a sec, but you know, they were playing Duran and Westbrook and the thunder to seven games. They, there's lob city on the Clippers. There were some really top tier teams that the Grizzlies, uh, I feel like they were always playing in the four or five game or something like that. They always had to go up against one of those and they were always battling down low. The Grizzlies defense was very tough. I mean, you say bully and trust me, there's plenty of highlights. I think any normal fan can look up of, you know, Zach kind of beating up on people, but their defense was, I mean, Tony Allen, Gasell, of course, won a defensive player of the year award. Randolph was no slouch on D and just a big body down there. Uh, They were top five in defense from 2011 to 2015. As you said, Zach Randolph was kind of, I, I always associate him as the face of the Grizzlies, even though some might say it's Marcus all I always associate with Zach Randolph. If I had to, if I had to make you pick, if I had to make you pick Joe, who is the most important player for those Grizzlies teams, those grin grind Grizzlies teams? Is it Marcus all? Is it Randolph? Who, who do you choose? You don't have to pick Randolph just because we're talking about today, but who would you actually choose if you had to pick? That's the unique thing about that grit and grind era. The best player in terms of being the best basketball player, was Marc Gasol. Uh, I think Marc Gasol, ironically, uh, maybe you'll have me back on again in a couple of years here. Uh, <laughs> I think Marc Gasol is a Hall of Famer. I yep. think he had a Hall of Fame career. He won the championship uh, with Toronto. He did remarkable things as a defense player of the year, multiple-time All-NBA player. You know, he has a lot of those accolades that back it up, and he obviously did things internationally as well with Spain that that would add some some uh, some credibility to that resume. I think Marcus All is the better basketball player. If you're telling me who is most important to the grit and grind Grizzlies, it was Zach Randolph um, on the court. X's and O's, the scheme. You mentioned the defense a moment ago, how how excellent it was. And you're exactly right. 
Marcus all was the catalyst for that. Marcus all was yep. the one that everything was built around. He was the guy that got them in the right spots. Tony Allen obviously was hell on wheels as a defender uh, out on the perimeter, and he deserves a lot of credit for it too. But the scheme itself was built around what Gasol was able to do as a rim protector and as a quarterback of that defense. But something that we often forget, and I'm guilty of it too, in my Jonas Valanciunas uh, critiques in recent <laughs> years, um, for all of Jonas Valanciunas's defensive issues, every defensive possession that's successful usually ends with a rebound, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that Jonas was very good at for the Grizzlies the last couple of years. And that's something that Zach Randolph was quite literally elite at uh, in terms of his time with Memphis. He was always one of the very best rebounders, especially of the basketball on the offensive side. Uh, the Z-bound is what it became lovingly known as when he would miss his own shot and get the foot back <laughs> very quickly. Um, but defensively as well, you know, he was always one of the top three, four, five rebounders in the NBA despite the fact I think he was listed at six foot nine and that was generous and he could barely jump over a phone book. And I don't mean to disparage. He just didn't have that kind of game. He wasn't that kind of athlete. He was somebody that had the capacity to understand leverage, how to position himself. He had a very good center of gravity that he was able to use. And we talked about that bully mentality. He was the last of a dying breed in terms of a low, low post player that would physically dominate you that would use that center of gravity, use his hips, use his legs, his strength down in his lower body to be able to get the positioning he needed, not just to score on the block, but to also get a rebound over guys that were several inches taller than him. So he really knew the game of basketball, almost Rodman-esque in, in mm -hmm. terms of understanding where to position himself, where the ball was going to come off the basket. He was a savant in that way, and he was really impressive to watch. So I think that Marcus Gasol was the better basketball player. I'll, I'll always make that argument. But if you're asking, again, I think they're two different questions. With the Memphis Grizzlies, they beat teams that were superior to them physically. Like that game, that seven-game series that you mentioned with Oklahoma City Thunder, where, ironically, newly minted Grizzlies center Stephen Adams uh, basically kind of sort of baited, you know, as, as time goes on, you take off the Grizz cover, gla colored glasses. And Zach kind of deserved it. Um, but Zach got suspended for that game. So they played a key game seven against OKC at one of the peaks of their powers. You know, they didn't have serious injuries that I can recall. They were, you know, it was Russ and it was KD. And, you know, they were they were fighting until game seven. They had the Oklahoma City newspaper call him Mr. Irrelevant or something like that or Mr. <laughs> something along those lines. It was the headline of their sports page after a game six loss to the Grizzlies. So I, I think that, you know, you look at, that opportunity, the stories that go along with it, and there's countless others beyond that. It's because of Zach, the mentality, the fact that it was genuine, it was real, it was organic. Zach is the one that really was the starting point for that. So while there were guys that I think were superior basketball players, especially Mark, uh, I, I think Zach was very, 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 very good. And he had the mentality and the ability to bring out that little bit extra, you know, Sometimes in sports, the most talented team doesn't win. And, you know, Zach obviously had a lot of gifts as a basketball player. But in terms of physical gifts, there were guys that he dominated on a nightly basis in the NBA that he shouldn't have because of the way that he played the game and the mentality that he brought to it as well. Yeah, no, you couldn't say anybody. I mean, barely 6'9". You say that's generous. That's probably generous. His his weight on uh, basketball reference is 250. I think that's generous in a different way. I think he maybe weighed a little more than that but just a big body down low. And yeah, to be able to rebound at the rate he did, you know, over nine boards a game for his career, it was constantly in double digits. 
uh, during the peak years of his career uh, for his size, his height with no vert to build the rebound. He did. He created space with his body. As you said, his legs, his lower body, and was able to grab, you know, a, a great amount of offensive boards. And honestly, I don't know if I ever recall seeing Zach Randolph dunk, but he was a menace around the hoop. And, and again, scored over 20 points per game. Many times in his career, 17 points per game for his career, his height and his like maybe odd body type in the air he played in. Um, definitely did not limit him in terms of his production on the court. But Joe, I do want to move to our next segment. Who we call this that memorable moment. And what we try to do here is just try to pinpoint if we had to say, you know, this was a player's, you know, best game or best playoff series, best season, whatever it may be. What would you say is his most memorable moment of his career? He had several with the Grizzlies, especially. Obviously, he had time before he came to Memphis. And I think most people think of him as a Memphis Grizzly, even more than a jailblazer at this point, as they were called, or a clipper, or you know, these other places that he was, because that the the Zebo mindset is so synonymous with what Memphis represents in a lot of ways. But for me, in terms of him being a Grizzly, it's the series against the Spurs, where the Grizzlies were the eight seed and the Spurs were the one, and Memphis knocked them off. And Zach was an all-NBA level player that season, and he completely dominated, uh, I think it was Antonio McDice at the time, and oh, yeah. essentially re- retired him you know, with his jab step jumper, his ability to get to the basket, the quick little spin move he would have off of that jab step and coming back to the rim, um, turning his back, being able to float above somehow. Again, he can't jump, but he somehow floated, it seemed, at times. Um, he hit a big three-point shot in that series, I believe, or it might have been in the series after. That that playoff series and that playoff run in general, I would say, was his peak memorable moment. When you are a 6'9", 250-pound-ish, I agree with the generosity. Um, when, when you're that size and you have those limitations in terms of physical gifts and you're able to completely dominate an NBA series the way that he did, you know, usually when you go to an NBA game and you see somebody break on an alley-oop or something like that, that's when you're the, you know what I mean? Like you can hear fans in the arena, like get, you can hear anticipation, right? You can hear it building, people see what's about to happen. I would attend those games and I would hear that happen for Zach Randolph in the post. Like Zach would get the ball on the block and 18,000 people start going, oh, like it was a crescendo and it built up to him hitting his jab step fadeaway jumper. And people would go nuts. And I think that it was, like I said, it was at a time when the city needed it because of flooding and the lots of issues that were going on in and around Memphis. Um, It wasn't expected at all, the run they went on. I think they pushed OKC, what was at the peak of their powers. I I think Harden might have still been on the Thunder in that 2011 playoff run. I might be wrong on that. But, um, you know, they pushed Oklahoma City in 2011 to the brink, trying to get to a game seven. And, and they were the eighth seed. They, they were not expected to do anything along those lines. They're expected to be fed to the Spurs and, and eliminated. And, and that's not what happened. And Zach Randolph, you know, it was before Mark was at his best. It was before Mike was at his best, Mike Conley. It was genuinely, you know, Zach being the best player on that iteration of the team, the beginning of the grit and grind era, carrying them. I mean, you have videos of fans chanting Z-Bo. Z-bo. as they're leaving the game as they're leaving the game they're chanting for this man so he he had the city on his back he had the team on his back he literally willed them in some situations to victory and that really was that that launching off point 
for what becomes known as the grit and grind era was that run, that miraculous, no way they ever should have been there. Because eventually the Grizzlies make a Western Conference Finals. Eventually they, at one point, have the best record in the NBA in the regular season for a small stretch of time. You know, they were a title contender legitimately in 2013-ish, you know, the middle of that run. Uh, 2011, they were expected to be eliminated in four or five games by the Spurs, and the exact opposite happened. And, and when it's not anticipated, it's not supposed to happen, those are the things that stand up the most in your memory. So I would say that run in 2011 would be uh, the peak Zebo time for the Grizzlies. Yeah, and, and, and Joe, that's what I had down here too. I mean, uh, again, an eight seed taking out a one seed, that's only happened four other times in history. And when the Grizzlies did it, that was only the second time it had happened since – the first round expanded to seven games. So, it, I mean, it's extremely rare, but even back then it was even more rare. You know, Randolph kicks off that series with a 25.14 board. Uh, game one win in San Antonio. Had two blocks there, even though he couldn't jump, still had two blocks. And then, you know, he clinched it in game six in Memphis. I think if they lose in game six in Memphis and it goes back to San Antonio, I doubt they win in San Antonio. But in game six, he drops 31 points and 11 boards. And in that game, you know, he's playing against Tim Duncan, one of the top 10 players of all time. Tim Duncan only has 12 points and 10 boards um, in that game. So Randolph, I mean, completely outplays one of the all-time greats um, at the same position. And in Timmy, you know, I don't think that's peak Timmy in 2011, but he was still plenty, plenty Tim Duncan of the past um, at that point. And Randolph completely beats him. And you were correct. You know, they get to the second round as the eight seed. They play OKC. James Harden is still very much on that team. They take them all the way to game seven where they end up losing. But for that series against OKC, Durant, Westbrook, uh, Harden, you know, three future Hall of Famers. He averages 23 points per game and 12 boards for the series. And then again, in the series before when they beat the Spurs, I mean, it's Ginobili, it's Tony Parker, it's Duncan. So this is, as you said, the Grizzlies weren't the full grin grind peak Grizzlies yet. Yet Randolph threw this team on his back, got him past the number one Spurs team that's won many championships before and after, you know, they played that team and then also took them the brick of beating, you know, Durant, Westbrook and Harden, again, all very young, but still that says a lot. And again, you, you talk outside of Grizzly circles, you're like, okay, he only made it to the second round that year. But if you really look at you, you look granularly at what was actually going on, it's quite impressive what Randolph was able to do. And the Grizzlies franchise is still only, what, 20-some years old? In Memphis, they just recently celebrated their 20th anniversary in the city of Memphis. So I'm not trying to act like he's, you know, Bill Russell. I'm not trying (laughs) to put him on the pedestal of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm saying that he is that guy for the Grizzlies right now. Like, is it possible that John Morant outshines all these dudes and he is that much better and he's a legitimate, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer? That'd be fantastic. And I think that those guys that love Memphis so much would be genuinely happy that that was what happened. But in the here and now, you know, when you talk about Zach Randolph having his number retired, there's people that criticize that. And I think it's absurd. It shows that you don't understand what he was in Memphis. And it also shows that you didn't watch very many Memphis Grizzlies basketball games. I'd be willing to bet since 2011, not many people have watched more Memphis Grizzlies basketball games than me. And, and I can tell you that that guy for all his physical limitations, as I said earlier, there is very few folks that got the most juice out of the squeeze that was their attempt at maximizing their potential than Zach Randolph. He really understood timing, all of the finite things in the game that are hard to measure. And, you know, he really was that 
it factor kind of player that was there at the right time when Memphis needed him. And then again, as he kind of starts to take a step back or so in terms of his basketball skill, that's the rise of Mark. That's the rise of Mike. And they kind of take on the, the lead role while Zach can still be very productive, but he can't be the best player on that team anymore. He can be the third or fourth best guy. And that's what made that grit and grind era work so well. Those guys cared genuinely for one another. They understood that they needed each other and they never had the success of that Pistons team back in the, you know, the previous decade that had Rip Hamilton and Ben Wallace and those guys never had that success. But again, similar in terms of the makeup, the, the, the sum of the parts was much more important than any individual piece. And you, you knew that they genuinely believed that. But when it first began, Zach was, was the guy that really was able to, when they needed him most, to pick them up and get them through to the end. So, Joe, our next segment here, we call this And Twins. And what we try to do is we try to look at who's already in the Hall of Fame today and who do you think best compares to Randolph? And this could be the way they played the game or it could be statistically. I wrote down two names and they're both from the 1970s because I feel like Randolph would have thrived in the 70s and be probably be a much bigger name than he is just because, as you said earlier, the way he plays, he was like one of the last, if not the last true back to the basket, down low, kind of grinding big man. The NBA just doesn't really have those too much anymore. But that's who I have. Who And I'll, I'll reveal in a second, but I want to know, who, who do you think best compares to Zach Randolph that's already in the Hall of Fame today? I think Willis Reed, and that's probably one of the mm. ones that maybe you have. Uh, uh, you know, Willis Reed, and credit to Stephen A. Smith, one of the good things he did is, um, or he has done, is he would talk about Zach Randolph a good bit when the Grizzlies were a, a topic of, discussion when Zach was there and you know there's like a video that was made behind a rap beat of him talking about Zach being a Willis Reed kind of player and I think that's the natural one you know I'm interested to hear what yours are and it's always good when you have somebody that's not in the Memphis bubble that that's kind of looking at those numbers and seeing what he's physically capable of but you know Zach moved around a lot and Zach had a, a bit of a reputation especially early in his career and I think that hurts him some but you know, I think if you watch the way that he played the game, I agree that the 70s and 80s maybe would have been more his wheelhouse. He was a player from a bygone era, and he really kind of mirrors Reed in terms of what he's able to do as a rebounder, the ability on the block, the multiple tools and the tool kit to score, to compensate for a lack of size. I just see a lot of, a lot of Willis Reed when he played. I, I love that. I almost threw Willis Reed down. The one thing I, I try to get people – Style-wise, could not agree with you more. I mean, Willis Reed and him are, I mean, I, I they're, they're twins the, in a lot the of way ways. they the, the way they they are. That's the that's the point of this, right? And it's funny, Joe, because twins usually when I do this, whether it be I do this for baseball, football, basketball, it's usually always the same position. You said a center, and I put two centers down as well, which just I think talks about Zebo's down low just presence down there. And he's um, under six ten, right? Yeah, like that's another yeah, reason. Exactly. That he, it's a really good point. The, Towards the end of his career, he did play more center for the Grizzlies because yep. that made more sense in terms of where the league was going. Um, he, he was traditionally a power forward in the you – know, again, he, I, I think personally he was the last of a dying breed. You, you, I don't really think of anybody beyond Zach that did things the way that Zebo did 
as that low post presence in that style. Yeah. So, so I love Will Sweet. The one thing I tried to find someone who, you know, the big thing about Randolph, I think, is he never got his team to the finals, even though he dragged them, you know, That's to fair. the Western Conference finals at one point, never got them to the finals. Will Sweet, of course, has two, and he was like the MVP, I believe, of both. So I found a guy, Bob, uh, Blab <clears throat> oh my gosh, Bob Lanier. Um, played in the 70s for the Detroit Pistons. He was their center. He was a consistent 2010 guy. Um, you know, his career numbers, points-wise and rebounds, are almost identical to Randolph. Um, he, he, never, he never could really get his Pistons team, teams of the 70s even past the second round. So Zach did a little better job there. But he was always down low. He's a low-post presence uh, and he banged down low. He was kind of a bully of the 70s. People were scared to play against him. He made his presence known down low. So that style of play really reminded me of him. And then this one's not as close as style of play, but career numbers-wise, Zach just kind of beats him. And that's Jack Sigma, um, who played in the 70s for the Sonics. He did win that finals with the Sonics in 79. He was also a center. But, you know, he had less career points than Zach. He had just about the same amount of career rebounds as Zach. And the thing that's most glaring is his career numbers. He was a 16-10 guy for his career. Um, you know, Randolph was a 17-9 guy. So numbers-wise, Sigma is almost the exact same numbers as Zach. Style-wise, Bob Lanier, he, he was a lot more the same style of him. But again, my guys are from the 70s. Wills Reed's from the 60s and 70s. I think we're both on the same point there of Zach was maybe a little past his time in terms of if he would have just, you know, came to the league in the seventies or early eighties, um, he would have maybe been a little more appreciated other than he was the last of a dying breed as we have now developed to the small ball where Zach would probably be one of the taller people on the court and he'd probably be shooting threes or something. I don't know what he'd be doing. <laughs> yeah. They'd be asking him to, to do some combo forward, run, run the point a little bit, <laughs> um, something along those lines. No, I, I think that you're, yeah, I like the two names that you said, and I do believe that part of a Hall of Fame argument, the numbers are the numbers, and, and I understand that, and I think that that might eventually, you know, be, be Zach's demise in this particular argument. I don't know that it should be, but, it, you know, it, it could be. My thing would be all those guys that you just listed, obviously Hall of Famers that have had remarkable careers and tremendous impacts. Zach did it on a team that wasn't expected to be as successful that literally, I guess, you know, it's hard to put a value on this, but the, the value of Zach Randolph for me, even beyond the, the statistical aspects and the way that he played, were the way or was the way that he was able to help cultivate a culture in a professional sports team that I had never seen or experienced before in terms of how genuine it was that they played for the city and the city cheered for them, not just because they wanted their team to win, but they genuinely cared about those people. And I, I can't recall a time where that was as prevalent and, and that was as focused in my 34 years on this earth. And I know that's a short amount of time, but, you know, I, I think that there's a lot in my sports history that, that I can recall, and there's nothing like what Zach and, the, and those grit and grind Grizzlies did. So um, he certainly was a player that was from a, a former age, and I think that if he was in the 60s and 70s, this would be a, a foregone conclusion because he has the same numbers. He'd probably have even better numbers if he was just transplanted into that time. But we live in a time where you look at who's getting into the Hall of Fame, and 
you know, there, there's a lot of worthy selections and uh, it might be tough for Zach to, to get in uh, anytime soon. So uh, I think the names you said are good ones and I think they're fair comps, but it just kind of drives home the point of how the final part of this conversation is challenging. Yeah. So our final segment here, uh, Joe, we call this court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And there's kind of a game I actually created real quick. We're going to play. Um, the one thing when I was looking through Zebo stuff, um, and I, you know, I always think about this because this is the things I think of, but I always think about how many great power forwards there were in the 21st century. And, and you know, Zebo came in um, at the beginning of it and he played all the way up in 2018. You know, he was drafted, um, you know, by the Blazers in 2001. He played just up until a few years ago. So there's been a lot of great power forwards since then. I have a list of 15 power forwards that I, you know, think were some of the better ones of the air. And I'm going to go through them really quick and you don't need to explain yourself. I'm just going to read a name. If you think the player I'm reading is better than Zach, you say no. If you think Zach's better, you say yes. So for instance, I'm going to say Tim Duncan, uh, Tim Duncan's better. So you're going to say, what are you going to say? I'm, testing. I'm going to say no, right? No, exactly. So you say no when the player I'm saying is better. Yes, if Zach Randolph is better. So I'm just Got asking, it. is Zach Randolph better? Yes. Is Zach by Randolph? No. So the first couple, these are easy. So Tim Duncan, Dirk, and KG, I'm going to assume those are all no. Those are all no. Okay. Paul Gasol. No. Chris Weber. No. Amari Studmeyer. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to say yes. Sean Maybe Marion. I'm biased. I'm going to say yes. Sean, Mar Sean Marion. Yes. Rasheed Wallace. Yes. LaMarcus Aldridge. No. Kevin Love. Yes. Blake Griffin. Yes. <laughs> Carlos. I have to Bo say yes. They won't let me back in Memphis <laughs> if I say no. Carlos Boozer. Yes. Elton Brand. Yes. Jermaine O'Neal. Yes. Although Jermaine O'Neal had a sneaky, pretty good career. Uh, that one's closer than people would admit. Chris Bosh. No. And Antoine Jameson. Yes. Okay. So really quick, let me do this. I think that's pretty fair. I'd probably have him seventh or eighth on that list. Yeah. So you had him sixth based sixth, on oh. that. So you have him as the sixth best power forward of the 21st century. There is something I, I do on these shows. I have, I have my own theories. Of course I do this quite a bit. Um, I always say if you're a top five player in your decade at your position, doesn't mean you should be in the hall of fame, but it means you should definitely be in the conversation. We just went through two decades and we have Zach Randolph as the sixth best player of the, of the 21st century at power. Well, at least Ford. I do. At, uh, you I do, you is. do, you do. I might disagree with you a little bit, but you, I'm just saying you do. So you have him as the sixth best. Again, I know Blake Griffin, you had to do things like that, but still, I don't, I think I would probably, I think I did this earlier. He, I admit eighth. Regardless, I'm still top. So 10 you'd two. probably have Blake Griffin in front of him and you'd probably have Amari Stardom. Correct. Correct. I think that's so fair. I, I think him, eighth is entirely fair. Yes. I have him eighth. You have him sixth. Regardless, we have him in the top 10 of the 21st century. Now, let me, let me tell you this. If we're looking, the Hall of Fame, 
stats matter a lot to the Hall of Fame. Accolades matter, and I think that's where Randolph falls off. Only two All-Star games, only one All-NBA appearance. He won that most improved, but I've never heard that be an argument for a Hall of Famer. Right. But this this is where it gets interesting, Joe. If we're looking um, at players in NBA, uh, or I'm sorry, those 15 players, which of those players has more career points than Zach Randolph? Career points. The only players of those 15 have more career points. It's Duncan, Dirk, and KG, all, of course, all-time greats. Paul Gasol, who's going to get in the Hall of Fame. LaMarcus Aldridge and Antoine Jameson, surprisingly. That so, is surprising. So, yeah. So, five of those players have more points than him. More rebounds, just Duncan, Dirk, KG, and Gasol. Okay, again, all Hall of Famers. So, he's top six in points, top five in rebounds. But if you look historically in NBA history across the whole league's history, at centers, power forwards, small forwards, whatever you want, um, over 18,000 career points, which Zach Randolph has. 75 players have over 18,000 career points, including Zach Randolph. Only 11 players of those 75 that are eligible for the Hall of Fame today are not in the Hall of Fame already. And then if you look at 10,000 rebounds, who has over 10,000 rebounds, which Zach Randolph also has, 40 players in NBA history have over 10,000 rebounds. Only nine players eligible with over 10,000 rebounds are not in the Hall of Fame already today. And then if you look at this, over 18,000 points and 10,000 rebounds, how many people have done the NBA history? 20, both. All of them eligible for the Hall of Fame today are in the Hall of Fame. So when I look at the numbers and I look at where he ranks, it actually gives Zach Randolph a lot more of a compelling case than I would have ever thought beforehand. Are those numbers news to you? No, I've heard (laughs) similar numbers. I think that what, what gets in Zach's way is his peak, you know, and again, he did some good things in in, uh, New York. I believe he did some good things in Portland. Uh, His peak of his powers were in Memphis, especially those early first couple of years. You know, uh, he, he did a lot of his damage as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. And, you know, that is a lower profile place. If we're all being honest with each other, I think the smallest market in the NBA, if not one of the smallest, it's the smallest. I, I'm pretty sure on that, but it's definitely in the bottom five. So he is someone who did not get the shine, the attention that perhaps others did. And I do believe that might've impacted some of his accolades that you mentioned a little while ago. He didn't have the flashiest career. It wasn't one where he was, you know, out there being a storyline every day in the news and people's minds. But I can tell you that he was on the minds of Memphis folks and he was productive wherever he went, but especially in Memphis, he was a real producer on the court and the numbers back that up. So it allows for me as someone who followed his career as the, at the end, you know, the tail end of it, as he closed out with the Grizzlies, um, we'll just ignore that he was on the Kings. Um, but when he closes out with Memphis, you know, he was a player that was able to carry that franchise into its greatest era. And he helped establish what that meant. 
And to me, that is an accolade in and of itself. It's not a traditional one. It's not one where it's an all NBA acknowledgement or multiple all-star games. I understand that. That's important. And you're right. Some of the most improved player winners in the history of the NBA are most certainly not uh, Hall of Fame worthy. So I, I think that's a, a fair point you make there. But you have to look at the numbers, which you do to try to be as fair as possible across eras and all of those things. And you also have to acknowledge that despite the fact that he did it in an in or a, a, not in a normal way, in an unorthodox way, actually, that was the word I was looking for. He did it in an unorthodox or goodness gracious, unorthodox way. That was his career. He had an unorthodox career. He had an unorthodox style. He was, uh, like we said, that last of a dying breed. And I think that that would be a hearkening back to the way basketball used to be played. I think that it's a good redemption arc cap to what was a remarkable career. And when I look at what Zach Randolph did for Memphis as a member of the Grizzlies, you know, retiring his number is going to be very fitting. And I think that that's going to be plenty enough for Zach. But I selfishly hope that he is that first Memphis Grizzlies Hall of Fame player, because as you just kind of outlined the case, I believe he are, he deserves it both in terms of the numbers and in terms of what he meant beyond those to the, the team that he helped uh, and the team that helped him get to that level. Yeah, so Joe, before I get you out of here, really quickly, final verdict, two questions for you. One, do you think Zach Randolph should be in the Hall of Fame? And then two, do you actually think he will ever get into the Hall of Fame? Yes, I think Zach Randolph should be in the Hall of Fame. No, unfortunately, I think he will not get in, and I hope that I am wrong. Yeah, no, and that's completely fair. Um, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on the whoa, podcast. Whoa, 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 what do you oh. think? What do you think? Oh. I, I knew you had to get out of here. I'm trying to get you no, out. No, I, I want to hear your. I oh, want to hear your take. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I, I I was I was trying to be on on, on time here for you. I'm already going over that. what I told you. Um, it's okay. So so real quick, do I think Zach Randolph should be in the Hall of Fame? Um, I don't, and and this is why. Um, everything we talked about. I think the numbers are there. I think everything's there. What you hit it, the nail on the head with with what you said around the peak. Um, the thing that gives me pause of getting him in is at no point of his career, and this might be because he was in Memphis and it's an under, you know, market-wise, it's not the biggest market, but he never received MVP votes in any year, not one. Um, and that's troubling to me. Uh, it, you know, there's players I've covered on this that are nowhere near, I think, Zach Randolph's caliber in terms of career or Hall of Fame re uh, relevancy. Um, for instance, like a Sam Cassell. Um, I think Sam Cassell is a great player. He won championships. Sam Cassell finished in the top 10 in MVP one year, along with other years where he was getting votes outside the top 10. To not get one vote any year um, gives me pause. Again, I think Memphis plays a big part of that. That's not his fault. Um, but, he, you know, he never got that kind of recognition league-wide. You know, the best, he was a great scorer. We talked about that, but the best he ever did was 12th in the league in scoring. Um, he finished top three in rebounding in 2010, 2011. That's something. Um, but, you know, if you don't, if you're not getting that type of, you know, accolades, whether it be, you know, all NBA teams or things like that, those additional accolades, I need to see you unfair not getting to multiple, you know, Western Conference finals and performing well there. The one time he got there, he kind of put up a dud. At, 
Again, it was the Spurs. It was a really good Spurs team, but they got swept by the Spurs. So I need to see you going to the finals or at least really pushing to get in the finals, and he never really did that. I need some additional accolades. I need something else, and, and he just doesn't have that for me. So I, I do not think he I, – I would not vote him in personally. I think the number retired is more than – like he needs to get his number retired. He's that great, but he's just on the cusp. Do I think he'll ever get in? Um, I don't either because Hall of Fame voters are from the ones I've talked to. They're even more stringent in terms of, you know, how, how many All-NBA teams did he make? How many championships? And the one All-NBA third team and the lack of even a finals appearance does hurt him. Now, is that his fault? No, I think he dragged those Memphis teams, honestly, maybe farther than he should have gone sometimes. But when it comes to the Hall of Fame, there's kind of credentials that people look for and they need. And Hall of Famers, voters today are not going to look past that. And unless there's some really big grass, you know, Joe, hopefully maybe this podcast gets picked up and they really, you know, you sold them on it. And maybe they, they I start think to, I did pretty they, well. They, 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 I think you did a great job. And again, <laughs> I, the numbers are there, Joe. That's the thing. The numbers are there. You can't, you can't make like those numbers are not soft numbers. He put them up and then he put them up in the playoffs, his playoff right. numbers. He elevated. And that's what you want to see. It's just the stage he was on. It was never that final stage where the whole nation was watching the Grizzlies. True basketball fans did. People covering it should take notice. But unfortunately, some of this stuff, whether you like it or not, there's there's writers out West that do not watch the Grizzlies, even though it's their job, they don't. And they're just going to, you know, we named all those power forwards. You got him six. I got him eighth. I bet you ask a lot of people and he's out of the top 10. I bet they're putting a lot of those players above him, whether they deserve it or not, and that's going to hurt him at the end of the day. So I, I'm no on both, but he's a Hall of very, very good. And if he <laughs> if he got in, Joe, if he got in, it's not like I'm arguing against that. Sure. I would be I would be all for it. I think that's very fair. Uh, everything you just said is incredibly fair, and, and I I think that Zach deserves it but I don't think he'll get it. And with Hall of Fames, I'm sure, you know, you encounter this, like you say, you do it across multiple sports and that happens a lot. You know, there's people that maybe deserve it, but for whatever reason, in this particular case, the accolades are a glaring weakness in his case. And uh, I do believe that that's something that that would impact him in terms of, of getting him over that hump. But I, I, I think that you made a very fair argument and I will make sure if you ever go to Memphis that people are nice to you, even though you rejected Zach Randolph's Hall of Fame candidacy. As long as you can help me get a seat at Rendezvous Ribs. Or, or you want to go to Central I, Barbecue or you something You want to go to Central like Barbecue? We'll get, you, we'll get you to Barbecue Shop. We'll get you where the locals eat. Uh, my Twitter followers are very well aware I'm obsessed with food, so I, I will take any recommendations next time I make it down to Memphis. So, Joe, now I know I'm way over time on what we talked about. Before I get you out of here, anything you want to plug um, for my listeners before before I send you on your way? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. I'm the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues. We're at SBN Grizzlies on Twitter. Uh, we just started our season preview uh, for John Morant's third year. I wrote an article today. Uh, as a matter of fact, that, you know, uh, kind of covers the excitement around jaw and the fun coming out of that grit and grind era. They're still in that building. You know, there's some expectation, but they're not expecting a title. So there's, you know, that that growth opportunity is a lot of fun to watch with a young team. I wrote about that. And, you know, I'm uh, I'm uh, very appreciative of the opportunity to come on and check out grizzlybearblues.com. Everyone, if you follow the Grizzlies or want to know more, now you're pumped about Grizzlies basketball. John Morant's fun. 
Um, check out Joe's work. Joe, thanks for coming on. I appreciate the time. Absolutely, buddy. Anytime. Thank you for having me. All right. So I want to thank Joe again for coming on the podcast. Talk about Zach Randolph. Had a lot of fun breaking down his career. And honestly, even though it was a no from me, I was surprised how close I got to saying yes for Zach Randolph. His career in totality was much, much more Hall of Fame worthy than I ever would have thought. But as you kind of heard me just go on and on there, I think he just falls short there. But an all-time great Memphis Grizzly player, I would say on Memphis Grizzly Mount Rushmore. And his, again, his jersey is going to go up um, in the rafters as it should. So Zach Randolph, Hall of Very, Very Good. In the Hall of Fame for Memphis Grizzlies players, just not a basketball Hall of Famer. But that concludes today's podcast. Uh, if you don't already, please subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, review. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pot of Fame. And we will talk to you next Monday. Have a great week.